women have a unique role in creation. Women are the nurturers, the birth givers, the more spiritual of the genders. And Torah teaches that women have a special status. Join Mashi Lipska for the next hour as she expounds the Torah wisdom specific to women. Only on 101.9 High FM. Agutner Shabbos. I am so delighted to be back with you. It's been a while. But what a wonderful day to meet again and to draw inspiration from the Parsha, from the times we are in, even from the times we are in right now where everybody's talking coronavirus. The Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe said, One must live with the time. And from his learned holy brother, Harav Yehuda Leib, the Chassidim found out that the Alter Rebbe was saying, not we must live with the changes of the time, get scared when people are scared, change your dress when people change their fashion. God forbid, throw out age-old traditions and mitzvahs when it doesn't seem to suit when we're no longer in the shtetl or in Yerushalayim or in Eretz Yisrael or in the ghetto. But from him, the clarification came that to live with the times means to live with the Torah portion, that the Torah reading always has a message, a message of upliftment, encouragement, light, elucidation. We live in times of darkness. It's actually the nature of the world. We don't see the hand of God. We don't see atoms. We don't see molecules. We don't see neutrons and protons, except if we focus, use a strong, strong glass, a strong magnification. But you need to focus. You need to know that you're looking for something. And very often we forget that. Very often we actually lull ourselves into this fantasy that the world runs on its own and that the powerful, the rich, the clever, they're the ones who run the world. But Bereshis Bara Elohim, God created the world at the beginning. And in truth, he continues to create it at every microsecond. But when we forget that we are actually marching, going to a destiny, God's intention for creating the world, then there's always a tap on the shoulder, a redirection. May it only be a gentle one. God is loving. God is joy. Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad Echad One has the same numerical value as Ahava, as love. God is loving, all-powerful, very rich, very clever. We can't even use those words because we can't imagine his infinite qualities. 
And yet we tend to forget, we become afraid. I'm alone. I'm vulnerable. We need to remember, we are never alone. Nothing is just happening because. Because someone ate a snake or a bat, because someone coughed or sneezed, because someone touched something, those are not the reasons. Behind all of this, there's God himself. There has to be. Nothing is driven in this world except by Hashem. We mustn't fall prey to the thought that it's people, and people have choices. People make mistakes. People miscalculate. All that may be true, but behind everything, when something happens to us, when something is happening in the world, it is God, the prime mover, who's directing all of this. And the question is, what is the cure. Is there one cure for every illness? In a sense, there is. In a sense, every, God forbid, impending catastrophe, God forbid, impending doom, darkness, gloom, negativity, needs to be pushed aside to see the prime mover and to move back and say, where's this coming from? At its root, at its core. Of course, the Rashis Bara Elohim in the beginning, God created the world and the name Elohim, God's name that's used, the third word with which the Torah begins, has the same numerical value as Hateva, the nature. They're both 86. That God created nature. What is nature? Molecules, DNA, outer space, seasons, butterflies, tsunamis. Who created the world where a baby is born and from the day it's born, it starts to age? We love birth. We look down. We are scared by weakness, illness. God forbid a very frail old age. Diseases, they scare us because they actually are invisible, as it were, or it's beyond our power. God forbid once it's there, we, we scramble to find a solution. But essentially, the very fact that in God's perfect, beautiful world, there can be disruptions. There can be things that we don't see. Germs. God forbid viruses. Viri. God forbid puts us into a panic because we like control. But control limits us. To open ourselves up to see the prime mover and to ask ourselves, what's the message in this for me? That would be a far wiser and far more productive 
road that we should take. We'll be right back after this short break. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. Ah, guten Erev Shabbos, it's Mashi Lipsker. Delighted to be back with you. And especially on such an auspicious day. This is Erev Shabbos Zohar. Erev Shabbat Zohar. We're tomorrow in shul. Every man, woman, child, even newborn, the infants, if possible, even if you don't feel well, but you can get there. Everyone should be in shul to hear the reading of Zachor. It brings tremendous blessing. It empowers us to grow, to work on ourselves with great success. Well, the season that we're in, the month that we're in, and the Torah reading of this week, indeed, are all connected. We know that on Monday night, we're all, please God, going to go to shul for a great mitzvah. Like tomorrow is a mitzvah. It's a short reading, but be there. Monday night is another relatively short service to hear the book of Esther. It's the Megillah. It's Purim. Purim has four special mitzvot that nobody can do on my behalf. I need to be there. I need to do it. And these mitzvot are relatively easy, joyous, very, very fulfilling. The first mitzvah is to go to shul and hear the reading of the book of Esther, where intermittently, when the name of Haman is called out, we make a noise, we stamp our feet, we turn the gragger, all to eradicate Haman. It's the same as why we're going to read the reading tomorrow or listen to it, because in each one of us, there is that Haman. Not, God forbid, that we're evil, but Haman is a descendant of Amalek. And Amalek is akin to doubt, to questioning, to over intellectualizing to cooling us down from our passion to make this world a home for God. Every moment is precious. It's amazing. We waste so much time on the absolute irrelevant. But we have a job. We have an incredible, incredible privilege in being in this world to partner with God to reveal the hidden, to reveal that it is God's word that animates us and everything in this world at every moment, that it is God's loving direction that actually directs all events. Someone sits next to me. Someone coughs near me. Somebody speaks rudely to me. Somebody speaks kindly to me. All of that is directed by God. 
Yes. Those people could have coughed into a tissue. That would have been their choice. But whatever comes my way is exactly on my map plan designer life that God has intended for me. And we need to remember that everything we see is intended for us to see. Either that we do something in terms of giving or receiving. And the message of Haman, the message of this week's Torah reading, is to quell our doubts, to know that we are on the right track, to stop asking so many questions just because we like to hear the sound of our own voice and we sound so intelligent because it's such a good question. I found just the right word. No. Life is meant to be lived. This is not about theorizing, looking at statistics, sounding like a big chocham when you understand things and you can discuss things and give your opinion. Not much comes out of that. People who realize that whatever God brings them in terms of abilities, in terms of incidents, not coincidence, it's called divine providence. And we've got to access all of our abilities, all of our connections, everything that happens. We are actually bound, responsible to use them to the fullest. You know, a station like High FM proves it. There's Kathy Kaler. Who is Kathy Kaler? She's a citizen. She's a lady. She's a mother. She's a daughter. And she has a dream. And look at us. It's unbelievable. And how much she had to go through to make this radio station a reality and a success. That didn't matter. She had the ability. God brought her to it. And it was blood, sweat, and tears. And sometimes continues to be. But doesn't matter. We've got to address things that come our way, ideas that come into our head in a Torah-based way. Why am I here? Why is this happening? Why did I notice it? Why do I feel it? And to consult with a Torah mentor so that it becomes the most productive thing for yourself and for the world. So we're in the time of Purim. The run-up to Purim to quell doubt, to reconnect with God. And so when we turn our graggers in shul, when we stamp our feet, we're not talking about eradicating a nation, an individual. We're talking about working on the Haman inside ourselves, the Amalek inside of ourselves, the doubt, the questioning, the arrogance, and to say they do not serve me well in my glorious mission to be the king's child. God chose us. Everybody else had the offer. You want this job? Everybody said, no, thank you. The Jewish people said, if it's from you, we want it. And therefore... In our history, over and over again, 
God has been hidden, and it's been our work to reveal him. The Parsha this week is the Parsha Titzaveh, the Parsha in which Moshe's name is not even mentioned once. The great Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, from the time of his birth until the time of his passing, which is four whole books of Torah in every single portion, his name is mentioned not once but numerous times, except one, where he's glaringly absent, as it were, and his name is not mentioned once. And we need to look at that because everything in Torah is exact. And what is the message for us? No mistake that in the Megillah, the book of Esther, that we will hear on Sunday, sorry, on Monday night, either at shul or at a private reading. And remember, we need to hear every single word and in order. Got to hear it from a kosher Megillah either by listening or by having the Megillah in front of you and reading it. Something special about this Megillah. We don't have that instruction to hear something so carefully, every single word, in anything else. What is it about the Megillah that's so important to each one of us? Amazingly, the underlying message is an interesting one. Because when you read the Megillah, God's name is not even mentioned once. Not mentioned once. Moshe's name is not mentioned in the Parsha. In the 24 books of the Holy Writings called Tanakh, In every single book, of course, God's name is mentioned, but not in the book of Esther. What is the message? Indeed, what is the story of Esther? The story is very important for us to look at. But first, let's just say that on the day there were four mitzvahs, which we'll come back to, to hear the Megillah twice, to give two ready-to-eat foods to at least one friend. It's called Mishloach Manot, Shalach Mones, a woman to a woman, a man to a man. Even children give Shalach Mones to ready-to-eat foods to at least one friend. And the custom is to send it. So you can say to someone, oh, just please give this to some." to so-and-so, even if they're in the same room. Otherwise, the Hevra Kadisha would send on your behalf on the day. And then the third mitzvah is to give at least one coin to at least two poor people. So at least one one to two individuals, at least one donation. The Hevra Kadisha can do that for us as well. Just find one of the ways, either the smart can, on that app on your phone, or their email, or their SMS, or whatever, and they will do that mitzvah for you on the day. They don't mind what donation you give, 
because you may not be able to find two poor people on the day, two needy people. So we've got the reading of the Megillah twice, the Shalach Monas, two ready-to-eat foods to one friend. We have at least two donations to each of two poor people. And finally, late in the afternoon, we do Seudat Purim, the Purim feast, which needs to start by day and extend into the night, celebrating God's salvation, miracle. So what is this all about? Megillat Esther, the book that we read, holds the secret and the message. Once upon a time, there was a king, and in the third year of his reign, he threw a party. And the sequence of events just seems to indicate that things just happened. But let's talk about the incredible sequence in a slightly different way. What happened? King Ahasuerus actually ruled for 14 years. He ruled from the year 3393 after creation until 3406. The Jews at that time were in exile after the destruction of the first temple. And they were now in one of the 127 lands from India to Ethiopia under the rule of somebody called Ahasuerus. And Ahasuerus knew very well that the prophets had predicted. The prophet had said that after 70 years, Jerusalem would be restored. The temple would be rebuilt. And he dreaded it because his kingdom was firmly established, as it were, except for this kind of looming competition that Jerusalem would be an incredible power. And he waited, and he counted, and eventually, when according to him, the date had passed and the Jews were not redeemed, that's when he threw a big party. So the first year of his reign was 3393 after creation. And in the third year, 3397, the Megillah begins that he makes a big feast. And in truth, he was celebrating that his kingdom was established and that the Jews would not be returning to their own sovereign, holy Situation, rebuilding the temple and becoming another power. And it was at that feast that he flaunted the vessels of the holy temple by putting food in them, wore the garments of the high priest in a flagrant display of arrogance and a statement. Nothing's ever going to happen with them. I have established my kingdom. In truth, the Jews at that time were terribly assimilated, and their leader Mordechai begged them not to go to the feast. And only a few listened to Mordechai. Many of them went in the city of Shushan 
although they were repulsed when they saw Hashverosh wearing the eight garments, which are described in this week's portion. And they were sickened when they saw that in the vessel, the holy vessels of the holy temple, food is being served. They didn't have the guts to leave. They didn't have the guts to stay away. And eventually they actually relaxed and enjoyed themselves. And that, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Because they were about to be redeemed in a few years' time. Ten years after this, Ahasuerus had miscalculated. It wasn't from the exile, the first exile of Yehoiachin. It was going to be ten years later from the big exile. And you know what? He miscalculated. The Jewish people wanting to be good citizens fell in with it. And because they enjoyed their own degradation, they celebrated their own degradation and, and, and being looked down upon. That couldn't happen. We have a mission in this world. God will never let us stray off course to the point where we lose our entire focus. And that is why the events that would follow all had to do with them enjoying the meal of Ahasuerus. That was the trigger. That was the sin. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM. I'm Mashi Lipsker. We're talking Megillah. The word Megillah means to reveal. Hester and Esther are very closely connected. So that's the message. Let's look at the story. King Ahasuerus is celebrating what he thinks is the passing of the date that the Jews were supposed to be redeemed and return to the Holy Land and rebuild their temple. He miscalculated by 10 years, new, And at that party, of course, he gets drunk and his wife disobeys him. He has her removed. And a beauty pageant begins. All of this is in his third year. Finally, in the seventh year, which is 3399, Esther is taken to the palace of the king, and she becomes queen. And Esther suggests that Mordechai become the king's advisor, and he overhears, because of his proficiency in all the languages, being the head of the Sanhedrin as he was, he saved the king's life. Only after that was in place did the king elevate Haman to become second in command and give him his signet ring. Haman continued to rise in power. Let's fast forward five years. It's the twelfth year now. 3404. Haman feels sufficiently secure in his position. The king is leaving everything to him. And Mordechai is annoying him. Haman hates the Jews passionately. 
hates Mordechai personally. And so, when Haman has this rule, this law passed that everybody must bow down to him, and Mordechai doesn't, particularly because he has an image, an idol around his neck that he wears. Haman is furious. Everything's perfect, but Mordechai is the fly in the ointment. It doesn't suit him just to remove Mordechai. He decides to do away with the entire nation, and then Mordechai would be as well included, God forbid. He goes home. He tells his wife of his thoris. He tells his advisors. And if you think Haman is evil, his wife Zeresh is worse. And she gives him an advice. And all the advisors concur. He says, you know what? Pick a date. Go to the king. For sure, whatever you want, he'll give you. And so they drew lots. The word pur, purim, in Persian, Purim are lots, lottery, a goyrel, to see on which day, in which month, should he carry out his evil decree. And he chose the month of Adar, because every single month had some sort of yont of salvation from God, and he couldn't find one in Adar. And he also saw that in Adar, Moshe Rabbeinu had passed away. And he thought, great, the light of Moshe was diminished in this month. His leadership was gone. Great month to do this. Haman felt very satisfied, comes along to the king, offers him a lot of money. The king says, keep the money. Achashverosh was worse than Haman. Do what you want with the Jews. Achashverosh had no idea that his own very, very beloved Queen Esther was a Jew. No idea. Anyhow, the date was the 13th of Adar, which would take place 11 months later. For he did this on the 13th of Nisan. Really? The Purim before? I mean the Pesach before Erev Pesach. Sure enough. He wrote the decree, sent it post-haste in the languages of every single one of the 127 countries. Countries, wow. And then he felt happier. Elijah the prophet appeared to Mordechai that night in a dream. He knew what was going on and he knew the reason. And the reason was because they had partaken from the feast of Ahasuerus. He couldn't go inside the palace gates dressed like that. And Esther wondered what's going on. She sent someone out to find out. And he said, you've got to go to the king. Obviously, for this, you became queen. And Esther said to Mordechai, okay. First argued, but then agreed. And she said, go and gather all the Jews that are found in Shushan and fast and pray in my behalf for three days. Do not eat, do not drink. I and my maidens will also fast and also pray. And then I will go to the king. And so it was on the 15th day of Nisan, the first day of Pesach, Esther, against the law, 
dressed herself, looking pale and wan, but feeling strong spiritually and very connected to God. And connected and dedicated to whatever mission she had to do and what lay ahead. And she went and stood in the courtyard of the king where normally, if you go without being invited, there's one law. You're executed. And she hadn't been invited or summoned for more than 30 days. And when she came, God made her look so beautiful and attractive to the king. He said, what is it, Queen Esther? And she said, come to a party today with Haman. Sure enough, they had a great time. And Haman goes home and he says, I am beloved by the king, even the queen. I was the only one invited with them. Just Mordechai ruins it. Because when I went out, there he was. And he wouldn't bow. So now his wife and his advisors advise him to build the gallows and go in the morning to ask the king permission to hang Mordechai. And we know that he didn't sleep all that night. And the gallows was 50 cubits high. And when he came in the morning, God made it all turn around. Ahasuerus was dreaming that Haman wanted to kill him. In his mind, he was thinking, why would Esther just invite Haman? Maybe the two are plotting against me. And when Haman came in, in order to help the king read, they had read the book of Chronicles to the king. And it was discovered that Mordechai had saved the king's life. Aha. The king said, if Haman and Esther are plotting against me, surely there must be someone in the palace who would inform me, unless I neglected to reward someone. And when that came up, God made that page be read beautifully by the voice of an angel. And Ahasuerus knew what he wanted to do. He said to Haman, when Haman came to get permission to hang Mordechai on the gallows, what shall be done to the man whom the king wants to honor? And so it was that Haman led Mordechai through the streets, calling before him, thus shall be done to the man whom the king wants to honor. And at the end of the first feast, the king said, what is your request, Esther? And she said, come tomorrow. I want to do another feast. And then I'll tell you. And it was at the second feast, which took place on the second day of Pesach, the 16th of Nisan, that Haman walked through the streets proclaiming Mordechai, the man that the king wants to honor. And at that second feast, Esther revealed that Haman wants to kill her and her nation, for she is Jewish. And the king, in his anger, ordered Haman to be hanged. And on that day, he also removed, got the ring from Haman and gave it to Mordechai and made Mordechai the second in command. And so it was. As the weeks passed, Esther and Mordechai became the advisors. The king listened to everything they said. One year was still Looming, And the Jews prayed that entire year because on the 13th of Adar, their fate was looming because the enemies of the king had been empowered 
by these directives that already had been sent. And even though on the 23rd day of Sivan, which was not so long after Haman was executed, two and a bit months later, even though on that day special missives had been sent throughout the land to say that the Jews could defend themselves against the enemy. Sorry. Yes. What happened was that the Jews had permission to fight back because it was on the 13th of Adar the next year only that the enemy that had been indicated in Haman's missive became known that it was the Jews because they were only to open that second missive on the 13th of Adar, thinking the Jews wouldn't be able to defend themselves. Sure enough, that year, the Jews fought on the 13th and rested on the 15th. Sorry, fought on the 13th and rested on the 14th. And the 14th became Purim. And on that day, when the numbers came in, Esther was asked, what else do you want? She said, Let's hang the ten sons of Haman. At that time, the first Purim happened. They celebrated. They made that day the day we're talking about, a day of great joy. And the king said, what else? And she said, look, there's still many enemies in Shushan. Give us another day. And so it was that on the 14th, the Jews in Shushan fought. And on the 15th, they rested and celebrated. And Esther and Mordechai wrote all this down in the 13th year. And they designated that day to become a day of tremendous feasting, rejoicing, giving gifts to the poor and food to a friend. And the Megillah says these days are remembered and reenacted. We need to remember that the energy of reaching out to God is there for us. Let us call out to God at this time for whatever we need personally, nationally, universally, and he will certainly hear our cry. For when God is hidden, his presence is even stronger. May we all be blessed with everything that we need. Have a Freilich and Purim and a guten Shabbos.